0: Well, good morning, everybody. Can I get a good morning back from you today? Yeah, it's a good, good day to be in church. Thank you so much. It's a good day to be in church. If we haven't met before, my name is Tyler. I get to be the pastor of this church that we call Anastasis. And listen, I'm so, so grateful you're here today. Thank you for finding us. Thank you for following along with announcements on social media. We talked about it last week in church, but I know that like a year's worth of life sometimes can happen in a week. And so it can be easy to forget. So thank you, thank you, thank you for following us here today. If it is your first time with us, thank you for being here. It means a lot to us that you would take an hour or so out of your weekend to spend it here with us. I hope you feel welcome. I hope you feel loved. I hope you know that you matter, like you really, really matter, that your life is on purpose. And we believe that in this space, but we also believe that that's just the way that God sees you, that he values you more than my words can articulate. I think that God is crazy about you. He loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to come and die for you for you so that you can have a relationship with him. It's absolutely amazing. And so I'm so grateful you're here. And we're gonna be jumping in today into week two of this message series we just got started on called Selfless. And I'm really, really excited about it because what is the one thing that we all think about all the time? How do I get less of me? Like probably not, right? That's probably not where your head goes innately. But I believe as followers of Jesus, it's absolutely where our hearts and our minds should be, hey God, less of me, more of you, less of me, and more of you. And So we're going to jump into that today, but before we do, let's just go ahead, we'll bow our heads, we'll pray together, and then we'll get started. Father, I thank you for who you are. God, you're so good, you're so faithful, Lord, there's no one like you. And Lord, I pray that in these moments that we share today, God, that we would honor you and glorify you. Um, Father, I pray over the words that I'm about to speak. Father, I pray that they would be the ones that you want spoken. Lord, omit the words from my vocabulary that you do not want spoken today. And Lord, I pray that in everything we do, God, we would just bring you honor and glory. We would worship you today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen. Well, thank you guys again for being here. I'm so excited to jump in today. Um, if you were with us last week or you watched on our social media, you know that we are in the middle, kind of not the, really the middle, but the beginning of a 21-day fast together. And so we're doing this thing from January 11th through the 31st. You got to go all the way through the 31st. February 1st is when you get to break your fast. But We're doing this because I believe it's going to be a really, really powerful way for us to start our year. In fact, I'm so expectant of what I think God will do in and through each of us, like collectively and individually. I believe that when we devote time to God like this, where we just pray and seek his face, saying, God, I'm going to give up something so that I can come and draw closer to you. I believe he responds to that. And we're not just doing this because we thought it up and we thought it was really, really cool. But what we're really doing is following the example of Jesus. Last week, we talked about how Jesus began his public ministry by fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And he was then tempted by the enemy, but he did that because fasting was preparation for what is to come. And we believe the same thing for us, every single one of us, that this year God has something in store for you. I believe that with all of my heart, that if you fix your eyes on him, that you will draw near to him, but we believe that God's got something in store for us. But we also believe that we have an enemy who does not like us the same enemy that came to tempt Jesus once to throw you off your path as well. And so we believe that in this year, you need to be ready and prepared for what will come your way. Because the truth is, in 2023, you're going to experience victories and you're going to experience trials. You're going to experience these moments of favor, and then you're also going to have these moments of Temptation. And our goal is not to be surprised by the temptation that comes our way or the challenges that arise, but that we need to prepare for everything that the Lord wishes to walk us through so that we can do so embodying a life of worship, a life that's just so deeply connected. To our Father. And I believe that as we fast, it does something else that's really important. It it brings an awareness to God's power in our life. I believe that fasting aligns our hearts with God's and gives us an awareness of Him, especially in the moments when we're gonna need it the most. And I do believe that if we begin our year, the way that Jesus began his ministry by fasting on purpose to gain a divine perspective for our lives, that I believe our lives are going to begin to embody worship as we withstand the temptations that are going to come our way. And one of my favorite verses in all of scripture is James 4, 7. Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But when we read that story last week about Jesus being tempted by the devil. He resisted the devil the first time, and the devil didn't leave. And he resisted him the second time, and the devil didn't leave. And it was after the third time that Jesus resisted his temptations that the devil did indeed flee. And so I believe that in our life, in our walk, that consistency is key. We don't want to just try to resist the temptation once. We don't want to think that's good enough, but at all times, keep our eyes open. On God. And I think that if we start our year fasting, that fasting will help unlock the consistency that we need to follow Jesus. I think it's gonna be a really, really cool thing. If you haven't jumped in yet, I would encourage you, jump in right where we are in the middle of this fast. You can go right to the 31st or extend it even more if you want to. But jump in with us, pray, ask the Lord to give you an idea of something that you should be giving up to draw closer to him. I believe every single time we come to God and say, God, I'd like to draw near to you, I don't think he's ever like, get away from me. You know, that's never his response, but he's always open-armed, welcoming to his children drawing us closer to him. But the reality is fasting is not just removing something from our lives, right? Fasting is not just going on the Daniel fast where we only eat fruits and veggies and that's all we do. Prayer is connected to it. Because here's the deal, if it's just like we remove certain parts of our like our eating habits, that's just called a diet, you know? It's not necessarily like a fast. But a fast is important because of the spiritual connection, because of the way we're praying. We're giving up something so that we can draw near to God, get our perspective on God. And then we walk in that as we pray and as we seek his face. And so we intentionally remove something from our life, typically food or even other items. And then we utilize that time we would be spending. Spending doing that action, and instead we spend it praying and seeking. God. And I think that when we fast, we're seeking God for a few different things. The first is just to get our perspective on Him. We want to align our eyes in the right perspective. The second reason is that we can seek answers from God. Maybe you find yourself in a situation that's really confusing. You just want to know His will for your life. You want to know what He's trying to do in that situation. You fast and you seek God for an answer. Maybe you found yourself like feeling like you're chained or you're shackled to something and you fast so that you can experience breakthrough and difficult Difficult situations. And then the final thing that I think we fast for is what we talked about last week, and that's preparation for what is to come. That's preparation for what God wants to do with our year, what he wants to do with our time. And like I said though, fasting is not just giving up food and calling at the end of the day, but prayer is absolutely essential. It is not just a throw-in, but it's essential, it's foundational, it is fundamental to our faith. And um, my wife thinks I'm a bit boring um, sometimes because I just love like the fundamental like pieces of life. Like I am like enamored when I see somebody who's really, really good at what they do with like what makes them great. Like I'm not as interested in the moment that was great. And I'm not as interested in like the flash in the pan as much as I am in like sustained like success or in sustained ways of doing things. I don't know if that makes sense, but like I wasn't so enamored with how far like one guy can hit a golf ball one time, but it's more like, wow, did you see how long Tiger Woods was great at golf? It was amazing. Like what did he do to get that good? And for me, it oftentimes comes back to like the fundamentals. It comes back to how you do something consistently, repetitively over and over and over again until it becomes a natural part of how you live, how you work, and how you operate. And I love seeing that because I think there's so much goodness found when we can look at that and say, what is that somebody's doing consistently that's allowing them to unlock this next level of whatever they're doing. Well, I think the same thing in our spiritual life. I think the same thing in our walk with Jesus. If you ever meet somebody, and I know I have for sure, you meet them and you're like, that person is just so at peace. That person just seems so confident in what they're doing. They just seem so almost relaxed, and their world is chaotic. Like, how on earth are they able just to have this resolve in the midst of chaos? I think if you look at people who are able to do that, or even if you look at people in Scripture who embody this, you'll find out that they've devoted a good chunk of their life To prayer, because prayer is a fundamental, foundational aspect of our faith. It's essential. It's not an add-on. It's not an extra, but it's absolutely essential. But I think that for some of us, prayer is not necessarily like an active aspect of our lives, and maybe for some of us, it's actually just really, really rare. And so instead of it being something we do every day, like breathing, eating, talking, or walking, um, it seems to have become like this little like glass-covered box that just says "break" in case of emergency, right? And like when we go to pray, it's because crisis has hit our lives. And I remember um, this quote from F.B. Meyer where he said, "The great tragedy of life is not an un. Answered prayer, but an unoffered prayer. And the fact saying, like, hey, you're in the midst of chaos in the midst of trouble, and you you weren't seeking God, or you were in the midst of your daily life going about it, and you weren't offering those prayers to God. And I was thinking about prayer this week, and I was like, I think it's literally in our culture one of the most talked about referenced things, but potentially like the least practiced things. Like something bad happens, somebody posts about it on social media, and I will see like in everybody's comments, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and, prayers. and listen, I'm not anti the sentiment thoughts and prayers, but like it was like thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. And and I wonder how many people actually prayed, you know? Like how many people actually took time and stopped and prayed? Or maybe you're in the grocery. Store and you're talking to somebody and they tell you, hey, I've got this, this diagnosis and I'd love for you to pray for me about it or I'm switching jobs and I'd love for you to pray for me about it. And you go, I will absolutely pray for you. Then you walk away and your life gets really, really busy and you don't ever pray for them right? And I think that happens so consistently in our lives. It's something we talk about, it's something we reference, but it's not always something we do. And so something that like I found early on that is like like an awesome remedy for that is to just look at somebody when you're talking to them and they say, hey, I want to, could you pray for me? It's like, yeah, let's pray right now. Like, let's pray right now, wherever we are, the grocery store, we're at the school, wherever we are, let's just pray right now because I don't want to walk away and forget, I don't want to walk away and miss an opportunity. I don't want to walk away and say, you know what? My life got so busy that I forgot about what you needed. And like I said, I'm not anti the sentiment, but if we say we're going to pray for someone, I really do believe that we have essentially promised to say, hey, I'm going to show up at a certain time to help protect and defend you. And then when our alarm goes off to wake up at that time, we just keep hitting snooze on it and snooze on it and snooze on it. Until the time has passed, and we've either missed the opportunity to do so, or we just forget altogether that it's essential and that it's important. And then, personally, in our own lives, I referenced it just a second ago, but I think many of us find security in like working under our own strength. And it's not until things have gone completely wrong that we turn to prayer as this like last ditch effort. Question in the house: Any football fans in the room? Like, show of hands, football fans there's a good chunk of y'all. Okay. Like I'm a Browns fan. And so I'm very familiar with this next term. It's called a Hail Mary. Okay. And so some of you, you may have grown up Catholic and that means something totally different to you, but it is something that is actually fairly closely related. Here's the deal. In football, a Hail Mary is this. Your team is down by like probably more than a field goal or they're just far enough away that they can't kick a field goal. There's a few seconds left on the clock. And so basically they draw up this play where everybody runs as far as they can into the end zone. The quarterback reaches back, chucks it as far as he can possibly throw it. And they literally say he's throwing up a Hail Mary, meaning like he's throwing up a prayer, meaning they've done everything they could up until that point in the game and now it just comes down to, well, let's hope it works out. And I wonder how many of us subconsciously walk around living our lives unknowingly, living our lives that way, right? We work under our own strength. We work under our own strength. We work under our own strength. And oh no, crisis hits. And now we start to pray crisis hits. Oh no, what are we going to do? I just need help now. Rather than making prayer a consistent part of our life, we get caught in this perpetual cycle. I made this uh, slide that um, in the early days of our church, I actually used to draw more and it was awful. So I've learned how I've learned how to use the computer. Um, And so, so I made this so I made this slide, but literally it's, it's this circumstance style that I believe happens. You start out, you're doing good, right? You're happy. And so you literally do nothing different. You're like, I'm not going to change the way I operate. I'm not going to change the way I'm doing anything. Everything seems to be going well, but eventually life happens, right? And so now things are just kind of going okay. And you start to notice like, hey, things aren't as good as they used to be. And for most of us, our initial reaction is not to go to God with it. But for many of us, our initial reaction is to tighten our control on whatever does not seem to be going the way that we want it to go. And so as we keep going around that and things are going from okay, and now we're getting really kind of worried about the situation, we just begin to work harder on it. We tighten our grip, we work harder. And then as we go from worried towards crisis, we just keep working until we're absolutely exhausted trying to fix every part of this situation. And once we hit crisis, right up there at the top is when we begin to pray. We start praying there. And I think it's absolutely crazy for us that we live our life potentially, so many of us, this way with our relationship with God, that then it becomes in those moments more about a scoreboard of when he saved us from our tragedy or saved us from our crisis rather than it being this ongoing relationship where we're connected to God in prayer in a way that grows our faith, that deepens our faith and helps us walk through whatever situation is in front of us. And I believe for all of us, it is so enormous, it's so important that we prioritize prayer, that we schedule it. For most of us, if we don't schedule it, the truth is you won't do it, right? Think about this. You probably talked to a friend a couple of years ago that you were supposed to grab dinner with and it just hasn't happened because you never scheduled it. You're like, let's connect soon, and then you walked away, and it just hasn't happened. I think that in our lives, we do get busy. So it's important that we schedule prayer. We need to make time for it. Create space in your schedule to pray, and I mean this, devote a consistent time to it. And the apostle Paul, he spent a good chunk of his like Christian life in prison for being a leader of the faith. And so he knows a good deal about the importance of prayer. And he writes this in 1 Thessalonians 5:16 through 18. He says, "Rejoice always." Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That this is the will of God for you, that you would rejoice always, that you would pray without ceasing and that you would give thanks in all circumstances. That no matter what you're facing, you would keep your eyes on Jesus, that you would pray without ceasing. To never cease means literally to never stop. So even when it's good, Pray, so I showed you the real life cycle. Let me show you the ideal cycle. When you're happy, pray. When things are just going kind of okay, just keep praying. As you move from okay to worried, because it'll happen even though you pray, like pray some more, and then when you're in that space, going from worried to crisis, don't quit praying, and if you find yourself where things are just kind of going chaotic around you, pray like crazy. Pray, 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 and believe that our God will be with you I just don't believe that God created us to have a relationship with him only at the very top of the mountain and only in the very bottom of the valley. But he wants to be with us at all times. He wants to be with us at all times. And our relationship with God is a lot like like a relationship between spouses. Like how good would your relationship with your spouse be um, if you only talked to them when life was chaotic or only when you were arguing? right? Like that would not be, that would not be good. I I can't imagine that would go well. If all, the only time you talk to each other is when you guys were engaging in conflict. Like that would be a terrible, horrible way to live. What kind of marriage would that be for you? In the same way, we were created, I said, for a relationship with God, and he's made it possible for us to meet with him, to know him, and to hear his voice. And so much of this is found when we pray, So keep going. When things are tough, you might be in it right now. And I'm not, I don't want to be like insensitive to that. You might be in the midst of chaos right now. I would encourage you, wherever you can find time, whenever you can find time, stop and pray. Get your eyes on God. Push through the fear. Push through the pain. Push through whatever is hindering you to connect with your father. Bring it to him. Give it to him. He can handle it and pray. And Jesus tells this amazing parable in Luke chapter 11. He's just kind of finished up giving them what we call the Lord's Prayer. And uh, Luke writes that this is what happens. Luke chapter 11, verse 5 says that then... Teaching them more about prayer, Jesus, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence my children someday are going to be amazing at prayer like I'll tell you what like there's going to come a day they're just going to bring heaven down it's awesome they're they are so persistent. And, um, and so I tell you, he says, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. I love it. Jesus is saying, hey, bother me. Bother God. Like, it's okay. You can bother him. God is giving you permission in Scripture to be annoying. Think about that. That is absolutely amazing. I don't give my own children permission to be annoying, but God is giving all of humanity this permission to come to him time and time and time Again, he's saying, seek me, seek me, be persistent. Hey, be a little pushy because I believe that he wants us to be honest with him. So we need to pray with persistence. We don't just pray once and walk away, pray once and walk away, but time and time again, come back to God and continue to pray. Let's look at this situation. Jesus paints this incredible scenario. A visitor arrives at midnight. Perhaps this person who's visiting is traveling in the evening to to avoid the intense heat that can occur in the middle east and so the host has nothing to give the visitor but the middle eastern tradition the middle eastern culture requires that sustenance would be provided and so the host goes to a friend at midnight asking him for three loaves of bread since an emergency has arisen and this guy is in desperate need and the man in the house is like what are you doing it is midnight Get out of here. I don't want anything to do with this situation. It's like, I cannot be bothered at this hour. The door is shut, it's locked up, and the children are asleep. And that's a negotiable if you're a parent, too, because I think they might be coming out asking for a snack. But, like, we can envision this, like, this environment, right, where it's like a one-room house in which young children will wake up when there's commotion. And this is the last thing that any parent would want. So the man says, hey, I can't help you right now. You need to go away. You're going to wake up my family. But the story is not over. Even though the man in the house will not come to the aid of his friend because the hassle is too great, he will grant what the friend needs because of his shameless persistence. Because he keeps asking and asking and asking. And Jesus is relating this to prayer. And before we go any further, there is like a group of people, there's a segment of teaching in our faith who tie this teaching to like overwhelming prosperity or overwhelming indulgences. They're like, see, name it and claim it, the biggest house on the planet, it's mine. See, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. And the reality is that kind of conflicts with how Jesus has told us like, you know, to find rest for our souls. He's never like hey, you know what? If you're really sad and depressed, just get more stuff, that'll really help you. No, what he says is come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so that's not what he's leading us to do, but Jesus says, hey, you can come and you can knock, and you can come and you can knock. And I believe he invites us into this kind of action and this kind of response, because he knows that as we draw near to him, that he draws near to us, and we'll begin to change, and he'll have an opportunity to meet us right where we are. The idea is not that we're begging the Lord as if he were reluctant to give or as if like we need to like extract something from him that he doesn't want to give us, but we're to be persistent in prayer because our persistence reveals what we truly want. And then as we pray, I believe with all my heart that the work that God wishes to do within us becomes all the more possible. Because we're continuously in all seasons approaching God. And so Jesus applies this parable to his hearers. Just as the friend outside shamelessly asked for food at midnight. He's telling his disciples, hey, you should ask, seek, and knock. You need to ask. Seek and knock. And the promise that he offers in that scripture is absolutely astonishing, right? He says, The one who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the door will be opened to the one who knocks. And then the asking and seeking and knocking, check it out though, it's not a one time deal, but it's continuous activities, the regular activities, the regular occurrences for him. He's saying, Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. Hey, Make praying and seeking my heart and seeking my face, make coming to me a regular part of your life. Make it an everyday deal. Pray like your life depends on it, because guess what? It does. It really, really does. The way in which we see the world, the way in which we recognize how God sees us, the way in which we view others around us is so indicative on where we set our eyes. And praying and seeking the heart of our father is one of the greatest ways to get our perspective right and so that we can walk and live in a life of worship, And we see this as he's telling them what to do, this escalation here from asking to seeking and then from seeking to knocking. And such words, like I said, they need to be read in context. We need to understand the heart of God and the heart of Jesus as we ask him for what we need. But the reality is God will determine what is actually needed for us. And for example, in James 1, 5 through 8, there's this moment where he said, hey, be, be thankful for all the trials. But in every trial, like, like ask for wisdom, ask God for wisdom, and he'll give it to you generously because he wants to give you wisdom. I believe that as we ask God, as we ask, seek, and knock, that our hearts will begin to change. We'll begin to realize the thing that God really wants to give us. We'll draw near to him. We'll realize what is best for us. And we'll ask our father for it, and he will graciously and generously give it to us. And like I said, the persistence and the purpose of persistence is not to beg God, It's also not to like say over and over and over again mindlessly or like superstitiously believing that if we just say the words enough times, eventually it'll come through. But the reality is true persistence continues to seek God in prayer in like a very meaningful and thoughtful way. And doesn't believe that like repeating the prayers is just going to result in this magical occurrence where what I'm asking for is given to me. But there's a heart to say, I want to draw near to my Father. And so like I said, you may notice over time that as you go to pray and as you ask you seek you knock as you continuously come before God that what you're asking for might actually begin to change you might it might begin to like be molded and crafted in a different way because God is doing that in you or You may notice that as you continually spend time in God's presence, the thing you're asking for isn't changing, but the passion with which you're asking him for it is growing and growing and growing. And that would be affirmation that what you're asking God for is the thing that he wants to do in you and through you and for you. So pray persistently. Don't give up just because breakthrough hasn't happened yet or what you need hasn't been fulfilled. But again, pray like your life depends on it. Do not cease to pray and then as you pray, remember who you're praying to. You're praying to a good God. Remember that you're praying to a good God. Jesus continues on in this passage in verse 11. and He says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And here we see where God's love for us is likened to a father whose son asks him for a fish. The reality is no normal like human father would give his son a snake if his son asked for a fish. So too, if a son asked for an egg, no loving father is gonna give his son a scorpion, right? That is not the way normal loving fathers do. And Jesus, Jesus's point is, if most human fathers love their sons like this, and the vast majority of human fathers do, that even though we're sinful, we can be assured that God has a great love for us and his love is so great for us. His love is so massive. I said at the top of the message, but I believe with all my heart that you are here on purpose, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life, that God cares about you more than you could ever possibly imagine. I believe it with all my heart that we have a loving father who's got his arms open to you, that he's not angry with you. He doesn't despise you. He's not looking for you to perform in a certain way so that then you'll have his approval. But I believe with all of my heart that our God loves you so, so much. It's so genuine, it is so pure, and it is so faithful, it is unending. And so Jesus does this amazing thing for us. At the top of this chapter, we skipped over this part as we started, but we're gonna go back to it. He gives us a guide on how to pray. And the reality is they needed a guide, and I think that today, a couple thousand years later, we probably need a guide too. That's for so many of us. We need to see, like, what is it that I need to do when I pray? How is it that I should pray? Um, Because for some of us, our inconsistency in prayer comes from just fear. Like, fear that God's upset with us. Fear that God's angry with us. We don't know where we stand with God. For others of us, it comes just from a lack of priority. Like I said, you need to schedule it. Your life gets really, really busy. You miss it. You miss it. You miss it. But for others of us, our inconsistency comes from our inexperience or fear of praying wrong. I remember as a kid, like one of the most there were two things that were terrifying. The first thing that was like super terrifying was when the teacher would say, "Hey, we're gonna go around the room and read a paragraph." I was like counting the chairs in front of me. I was like, "All right, right." and I'm gonna read this paragraph and I'm gonna memorize this thing. (laughs) Like I'm not gonna read this thing wrong." But the second thing that actually really scared me was being in church and like praying out loud. And somebody like, "Hey Tyler, can you pray for that?" I was like, "Oh my goodness, (laughs) maybe you know, and we'll see." because I thought that someone was maybe going to judge my prayer or that I was going to do it wrong or I was going to sound dumb or whatever the case may be. First of all, let me just address this. If you feel that way, there is no wrong way to pray. I'll just start right there. Prayer is talking to God. You're having a conversation with God. There is no wrong way to pray. If you find yourself, like, wanting to figure out how to pray, just talk to Him. Whatever's on your heart. Whatever's on your mind, whatever's going through your system, just let it roll. Let it out. Just talk to our God. He can handle it. Second, um, if, if maybe you find yourself on the other side of the coin, you're like, you listen to somebody pray, and you're like kind of judging their prayer. Like, I hope that none of us will ever be that. We'll never do that. We'll never be people who judge the way somebody else prays. If we're doing that, man, we're not being helpful at all. I believe that we just pray with people, period. Like, we just pray with it. Somebody starts praying, like, we can start praying, too. There's no reason we wouldn't. I hope that our community will never be a place where people feel like they have to have it all together. They've got to have it all figured out. I want our church to be a safe place for people to grow in their faith, whether you've been following Jesus for 30 seconds or for 30 years or you're just trying to figure it out. Like, I really, really, really want you to know this is a safe place, and I hope every single person in this room embodies that. Our goal every single day, no matter who you are, is to wait. up and take a step towards God just wake up and take a step towards God. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to understand every aspect of our faith. You don't have to know the deep theological intricacies that exist sometimes in this book. What you do need to know is that every single day you can wake up and take a step towards God, that God is with you, that He loves you. It's why our first core value we ever came up with was presence over presentation. Because I know in my heart that my presentation, my ability to make you think that I live a certain way or my ability to try to be perfect will never ever, ever be what it needs to be. The reality is there's no power in my performance. There's no power in any of our performance, but there's power in the presence of God. There is power when God moves. There's power when we fix our eyes on Him. The chains can be broken. The diseases can be healed. The people can find relief for their souls. And none of that is ever a part of our presentation of look how good I am, but look how good He is. Let me fix my eyes on Jesus. And so we believe that the power and the presence of God can change everything for someone. So we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus. We're going to help each other fix our eyes on Jesus. And Jesus gives us this guide of how to approach our prayer time with God. He says this, he says, verse 5, he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. He's talking about the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And he says, but when you pray, and here's really specific instruction. He says, go into your room and shut the door. Meaning find a place, a secure place, a place you're not gonna be bothered. And pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't think that you've got to craft this perfect phrase for God to hear you. Just talk to God. Let it out. Don't be like them, He says. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Um, When I read that this week, something stood out so strongly to me. And I realized that there are times, when I read that, I used to say, don't, you know, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Like, I know what I need. Do you know how many times in my life I think I know what I need? But the reality is what I actually need, God knows. And so I might be asking him for something or to do something that isn't actually gonna fulfill my need. I just think it is. But he knows what I need before I ask him. Meaning like, even if I can't get it out right, he knows. And so so often I just love to go to God and say, God, you know what I need. God, you know what I need. God, you know what I need. Please just give me what I need. He already knows. And so Jesus says, verse 9, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And then he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And that section from verses nine to 13 include what has been deemed the Lord's prayer. And I remember going to Thanksgiving once as a kid at my aunt Patty's house and, um, I I was, I don't even remember how old I was, maybe nine or 10. And, uh, And I don't, I did not know, like I didn't have the Lord's Prayer memorized, but they were from a very, very, very traditional background. And so they said, hey, let's pray over Thanksgiving dinner. And so everyone grabbed hands and then out of nowhere, everyone went like, like our Father who art in heaven. And I was like, oh my goodness, what's going on? Like, I, I missed the memo. We were supposed to memorize this one. Okay. And I just, I literally, this is terrible, but I was like, uh, da, 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 da. like, I was just, I was just making sounds, you know, to, to fit in. And, um, and I'll never forget that because I, I believe in praying scripture. I really do. But I also believe that like our prayer comes from our hearts. Jesus has given us buckets. He's given us a guide. He's given us a roadmap here because prayer is not meant to just be ritualistic. It's relational. Prayer is relational. It's not just something we do and we do and we do and we do and we recite the same thing over and over and over and over again, but it is actually something that is a connection between you and your Father in heaven where you get to meet with the creator of the universe. He hears you and check this out. like You can be quiet and he will speak to you and I believe you will hear his voice as well. So prayer is not ritualistic. It is relational. And so we, we look at this beautiful roadmap that Jesus is giving us to follow as we venture into praying to God. And he says this, hey, begin this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hey, God, you are holy. God, you're perfect. There's no one like you. God, you're faithful. And you begin to reflect on who God is and you praise him for who he is. And then it says, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, not my will, but your will be done. I don't want what I want, but I want what you want. Do what only you can do. And then he goes into it, he says, and give us this day our daily bread. Your needs come out at this point. This is the part where often we start. We start with our needs. God, I'm just overwhelmed. God, I don't know what to do. God, I don't know what to do. And he's saying, remember, he already knows what you need. But you can come to him and say, God, you know what I need. You know what I'm going through. You see me in the midst of all of this. God, meet me where I am. And forgive us our debts, He says. As, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And this is the moment where you can ask for forgiveness, where you failed. Reflect on the ways that God has delivered you, the way that God, God has redeemed you, what he's forgiven you from. And then something amazing can happen in this section too. You can begin to pray for those who have wronged you, for those who have sinned against you, as you ask God for the strength and for the ability to forgive them as well you begin to pray for them and then verse 13 says and lead us not into temptation because we can do that all too well by ourselves but deliver us from evil God give me the wisdom and the strength to follow you today. Give me the wisdom and the strength to withstand temptation, to flee from that which is not from you. God, rid me of that which is not from you. And because I believe that prayer is a dialogue and not just a monologue, at this point, I believe that we can be quiet and we can listen for the voice of God and his leading in our hearts and our minds. We're not going to jump super deep into that today at all. But I believe the reality is we can come to our faithful Father, our good Father who's with us and it needs to be an everyday part of our lives. What I hope you grasp today, especially if prayer isn't a part of your daily regimen, is that prayer is essential, that prayer is foundational and that it's relational. And God wants you to pray to Him. God wants you to speak with Him. God wants you to know Him. He wants to meet with you. He's a loving father with his arms open for you to come. Listen, he literally moved heaven and earth so that he could be with you. So do not miss the opportunity to pray, to draw near to God, because as you draw near to him, I do believe with all my heart, he draws near to us and he's faithful to do so every single time. Let's go ahead. Let's pray together. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you are here today and you'd say, yeah, I want to, I want to begin to live a Of prayer, Um, I just want my life to be, you know, encapsulated with prayer. If that's you, would you just go ahead and slip up your hand? I want to pray for you today. Yeah, hands all over the room. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for for meeting us where we are, for purposely guiding us. Father, I pray um, over every single hand that was just raised. Father, I pray that you'd meet them where they are. Lord, I pray for every person who's going to seek you in prayer, God, that you would give them an increased awareness of your spirit living within them and Lord, of your voice speaking to them. Father, I pray that as we come to you, we would come to you confidently and boldly, remembering that we are your children, that your son died for us so that we could be forgiven. And Father, I pray that we would come to you boldly, remembering that you love us and that you care for us. And God, we would come with thankful and grateful hearts, knowing that you'll be with us at all times, that you'll never leave us or forsake us. God, I ask for all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.